Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he's a founding member of the AV Club at Hawkins, it's Arturo Zurita. Hey, but it's a secret, you're not supposed to tell anyone, that's the one rule we have. <laughs> this happens all the time with you, I swear. I forgot, and we have no lying in our friend group, that's the no number lying one whatsoever. rule. No, happy to be back. Yeah, it, it'll be fun to discuss all the new movies and TV with you, Art. Uh, let's get straight into it. We will be discussing uh, Florida Project, Meyerowitz Stories, and Mother in a bit. But first, we start, From, the, si yeah. we start the way we start yeah. every podcast. What have you been watching, Art? Bro, the same thing everybody else in the world has been watching. The strangest thing out there. Is it the strangest thing? Is it just kind of like a strange thing? Oh, well, I'm talking about uh, The Snowman, the newest movie. <laughs> right, right. That is the that strangest That one is strange. Thing. No. Stranger Things Season 2. I'm not sure. I think you and I had a discussion about this. I wasn't the biggest fan of Stranger Things Season yeah. 1. It was one of those things where I didn't hate it. You were definitely I, not on the same hype train that it seemed like I, the exactly world was. was. It was one of those things where it's like the hype train was so high. And it's just like I had seen so many 80s things, right? Because it's, it, it, and it's still here. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think like the peak of it, the one that's finally going to get me, uh, this one kind of two spoilers. I did really like season two. But it's going to be um, Spielberg's thing that's coming up. Right. Uh, Ready Player One. Ready Player One. I think that's going to be the one that's going to bring it home. And I'll be like, now I get what all of you guys are feeling with all of this 80s stuff. Remember, like all this 80s stuff yeah, that was I coming mean, back. People people are giving uh, Stranger Things a lot of credit for sort of like biting that 80s style. But, mm -hmm. you know, if you think about it, all the people who were growing up in the 80s are in their like 30s and 40s now exactly. and should be making material. So you are getting a lot of stuff that calls back to that, whether that's like... Everybody liked that movie, The Guest, from a few years ago. That was very Carpenter-esque, right. and there's a lot of like people are reviving that. the Carpenter yeah. style, but and or the Stephen King style, and and it seems like it's all kind of going. Uh, the praise is all going to Stranger right Things, yeah. but th it is because it is a really engrossing, entertaining it is. show. I just realized that I didn't even put together that that's why there's so many 80s things. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, every, oh, well, yeah, the 80s people have grown up. That means yeah, And then I'm going to wonder when the 90s things, and then when we're going to get to the stuff. 2000 stuff. Uh, no, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, no, I agree with you. There were so many other things, like, you're right, with uh, The Guest, with uh, Turbo Kid. Remember, that was, like, this big thing that came out of nowhere. There was right. all these little different 80s things, and when this came Kung out, I'm like, Fury. yes, it does it super well. Kung, Kung Fury, yeah, that was another one. Um all things that were fine, but I was just like, wow, this is relying on nostalgia, but I'm a 90s kid. And I guess that was the biggest thing for me. And I would see this and I'm like, no, it's completely fine. But I guess the hype kind of killed it for me. I never bashed the show in any way, shape, or form because mm -hmm. I thought it was a fine show. But if I'm like, it's really relying on nostalgia. And you know me from my main channel. I like dived into all of the Easter eggs references, a lot of Easter eggs references, and I realized... <laughs> Hey, Tarantinos, uh, at what point do we go from homages to just replicating and making something your own? Right. Season two. I think that's where it finally did it. Season two is where it finally did it, and I think it did it really well, where it knew to call back to... They kept calling it a sequel. Mm -hmm. And who's the master of sequels? Show you right in episode one, that Terminator T2, they call it Judgment Day later on. They, they, and I think it perfectly was able to... Not so much tone it down, because they really don't. It's still yeah. in your face about, like, yo, we're in the 80s, yada, yada, yada. But I think now that you had built up the characters, me rewatching season one again, really getting into it, I thought it worked really well. And I think what, what 
what they do really good. It's not just the characters, like you said. Mm-hmm. It's how they flow from story to story. And yeah. I think you would be one of the people who noticed it, too. Yeah, no, that, that for me is one of the things that has been... Uh, excellent about the show. I think it, even in its first season, it was pretty good at being able mm. to integrate all of this big ensemble. Uh, yep. We we have talked in the past how we like when movies can take children and and depict them seriously, depict them yep. not necessarily doing adult stuff, but in an adult manner. And and yes. this is a show that does that really well. It re- it realizes that like even though kids are young and naive and like to play games and play pretend or whatever it is, they they still deal in the real world and and. Are, are just dealing with the strange uh, adolescence of like understanding that you got adult stuff in yeah. your in your near future, but still trying to hold on to childhood. I, I really liked how that dynamic developed further in season two, where you see a bit of fracturing in this group of boys. Without, I mean, we're going to get into spoilers later, but I'm to keep it a relatively spoiler light now. Uh, you know, there's a girl gets into the mix, and there's some fight Max. like it, fighting yeah. over like, oh well, is is does someone have dibs or something like that? And, and it, the way and the way that these friendship rules are are kind of dividing them apart, and you see mm-hmm. uh, Mike is kind of almost retracting from the group because of uh, what's happened with Eleven. I think it's it's really cool when the show is able to focus on those interpersonal dynamics. I thought uh, the teenage stuff is also cool, the way that they've developed Steve into a much fuller character. He went from me, maybe being my least favorite part of season one to my favorite part of season two. Uh, Steve's so, fair of faucet hair, dude, right? Yeah, yeah. The John Ralphio Jr., yeah. Yeah, John Ralphio Jr. Uh, yeah. it, if you have seen that clip, it's a great one. Uh, with him and um, Ben Schwartz. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think for me, some of the 80s stuff maybe is not as... I also don't have that nostalgia for it, and I think they maybe went a little far with some of it. I mean, that whole first episode is like, let's get dressed up as Ghostbusters and go play Dig Dug. <laughs> or like the five back-to-back 80s songs. Just yeah. to like... It is, it is very, very 80s. I mean, Netflix understands that this is a big hit, and I think they've given them a lot of money. So it's, yeah, license any 80s song yeah. you want to. And again, that's not a bad thing. Like, it's just something that of, we don't derive the nostalgia yeah, for. Yeah, we that's don't other care people. for But if that's the worst thing of the show, that's almost a compliment yeah. in it. I still really like the show that's beneath all of that uh, kitschiness and nostalgia. Yes. No, I mean, I like the way that it flowed. Like you said, in the, in the first season, you had the kids, you had the teens, you had the adults. And then they all come together towards the end. And this one, it's like they're back to that as well. You got the, mm-hmm. the, the kids, you got the teens, you got the adults. But it was the way that they seamlessly put it together. You know, I love editing and all that jazz. I love just the simple things of seeing someone about to scream and it cuts to like an engine roaring to the right. next sequence. Yeah, those when someone's cuts. about to... For nine complete episodes is beautiful. It shows you that it's such a cohesive piece. It shows you that they know exactly the medium that they're on. Mm-hmm. And that is to binge watch it. This, What the show does best is is understanding where people are watching it and finally taking advantage of this binge watch type scenario. All the way from the title sequence. How mm-hmm. it just comes and it goes. All the way to the way that they end an episode knowing that you... You're gonna watch the next one. Yeah, you know. I, I, mean? I know you did that. Uh, that video that was on the BoJack intros and stuff. But this yeah. is one of the least skippable Netflix intros. Exactly. It just that song is so cool and stuff. Uh, and they've really, I think, even in the second season in particular, they've really perfected that binge watch model. Uh, going off of kind of that like Breaking Bad. Oh my God, I have to watch another the one because episode. of that ending. 
uh, kind of thing where every single episode, I'd say maybe with the exception of the first one, only because they're like reintroducing everything. Yeah. It, 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 you, I don't know how you can put it down. It's hard to. I, I cook through this it entire is, thing mostly on yes. one Saturday. It's um, literally like if you stop in between episodes, it's like you're stopping a movie halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel. It, it, with the exception of that seventh episode, which I don't <laughs> know if fa- you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah your favorite. <laughs> it did feel like one long movie, which I, I think uh, I don't love to talk about TV in that way, but I think certain TV calls for it. Yeah, I think that's how they made this one. They said it was. It's they're calling it a sequel. I think they said sequels suck, but we're making ours like a sequel. Mm-hmm. And I like that from the title sequence. It's the most simplest thing. Stranger Things two. Yeah. That was cool. Oh, yeah. with Matthew Modine. <laughs> Did you notice that the one episode that he's in, that's mm-hmm. the first thing they cut to, and at the end of the season, it's Stranger Things. Think it's the first credit. The first thing with Matthew Modine. Is yeah, that like I, what it's called? If I go on <laughs> on it, am I going to see it on IMDb? Stranger Things 2 with Matthew it's Modine. It's like the alternate French title or something. Um, yeah, when I make it, my first movie, that's what I'm going to call it. <laughs> with Matthew Modine. Whatever with Matthew Modine. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the whole upside down aspect of it. And maybe this will get a little more spoilery, so if you haven't yet seen Stranger Things and you want to, this might be a good chance to skip. You'll uh, see the time code in that description down below, so uh, make sure to go click that. Anyway, the first season dealt a lot with uh, the, the disappearance of Will into this zone, weird alternate dark space upside called the down. Upside Down, yeah. uh, and the Demogorgons that existed there. And, and it became a big uh, you know, where is he? What's you know? What's the end of this mystery kind of thing that pulled you through to the end? This season doesn't have that same lingering question in the same way. There is sort of like that. Well, what's going on with Will? But it's a less active mm-hmm. concern w- than when you see Winona Ryder like tearing her Freaking hair out about. Did you where like her... it? I well, so for me, I felt a little less pulled through by the plot, a little more pulled through just by the characters. I, I wasn't okay. I wasn't disliking it, but whereas I felt whereas I felt like I was intrigued to find out more about the inside uh, the upside down in the first season, they didn't necessarily do any more to make me want to find out more about the upside down in the second season. Okay. Like they alluded to this whole government conspiracy type of deal and yeah. they the Paul Reiser character, I didn't really get a good feel for him whether he was like to gauge how evil he is or to gauge how much he's trying to genuinely be helpful. And I don't necessarily know like how many answers are there or how much they're just continuing things right. and letting things That's what I always linger. ask, yeah. Like, do we trust them? I think mm-hmm. they've gained enough trust to be like, okay, I'm going to believe that you have a whole backstory. You just mm-hmm. haven't shown it to us yet. That's fine. Yeah. I, I want to believe that. Um, for me, I, like you said, I think you're, you're, I liked it more than season one. I liked the idea of in season one, she's all about get my kid back, get my kid back, get my kid back. And right. this season's like, I'm going to kill this kid if I have to. Yeah. She's I love so that. so quick to, to, to give up Will if she needs to. I adored that because in every other movie we see, oh, no, I can't. I spent the first. No, they're like, bro, I got to do this. Yeah. That's one of the, you, we talked about this. They do things that may end up with a bad result, but they never do things that are dumb just from the get-go that you're like, this is, this, of course, this is going to fail. And they're characters that you actually root for, like when they figure out, oh, Morse code, when they figure out exactly what the vines are, like bringing in characters like Bob to be able to solve things. Bob, you know, ah. 
they, they, I mean, Rest if we're talking, Bob. if we're talking Spielbergish, you know, homages, I think that's what they do best. Mm-hmm. Bob, really good with puzzles. He's gonna come into play for those puzzles, right? When you have uh, what's your name? I'm the Zoomer. Whatever. I think that's what you call yourself, <laughs> right? Yeah. That comes into play. That's what I like the most about it. They'll set up something, and, and this is what I'm saying. I trust them because they'll set up something, and they'll come back and they'll be like, "We got you." Mm-hmm. Everything. Like I got to the point when I saw. Um, I forget his name, but the one who ends up dating Max when mm-hmm. he's talking uh, at in the mirror, and I'm like, I, y'all already know what's gonna happen. The <laughs> sister's gonna come in and finish up a line. Like they've set it up for that. Mm-hmm. So setting up the upside down, I believe they have something more to it. One thing though, I don't know if this caught you off guard because I finished the last episode, uh, <laughs> one o'clock in the morning, when Eleven is closing the thing. Was it just me or did that not look like a xenomorph? It does kind of like I think the the shadow the um, the, the shadow monster itself also kind of looks like a xen- like the one he drew looks a little xenomorphish. No, that's the chlorophyll monster. Okay, <laughs> that's a chlorophyll monster, I mean, or it's the, the one thing from about dealing with sci-fi. It's hard to not do a monster that's already been done. You're right. The demogorgon seemed kind of unique because it had that like face yeah, yeah, yeah. splitting thing going on. Uh huh. What if? What's the what's the JJ one? Super mm. eight. Yes. Super Stranger Things 8. They just <laughs> combine together. Um, you got to age down L Fanning, but I'm, I'm there oh, for yeah. that. <laughs> um, I believe that they're going to have more to do in season three. Yeah, so well, let's talk about the future like, of the show yeah. a little bit. Uh, they, Netflix has reportedly asked the Duffer Brothers to shoot season three and four back-to-back, to which they said no. Uh, they're not, they want, there's a, there's a risk about whether or not, uh, the, so Netflix is hoping to get as much production done before the kids, you know, age age Yeah, which makes sense. Uh, and the Duffer brothers want to take their time and treat each season like its own thing, give themselves time to write it. So I fully respect that. I mean, season one and two are really strong, even though season two, I think wasn't as strong as season one. I think... You, you don't want to run the. You don't want to run the risk <laughs> no, but of I agree. being uh, Nick Puzzolato spending like too little time on True Detective season hey, two. Don't do them like that. <laughs> don't do well, like I, that. I'm saying they, that's how they avoid this is by keeping season three and four separate. You know there was there was that slight aging of some of these characters. Dustin is definitely bigger. You know he's no longer missing his front teeth, but I don't think that that they played hurt. it in well. They played it yeah. in well. Maybe yeah. a little bit too much with the. Bet <laughs> right. that worked. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a show that, like, I don't think it's going to, even if Netflix wants it to, I don't know if it could last, like, six, seven seasons. So to get, like, four or five and follow these kids through, you know, some formative years, I think would be fun. So I I don't really mind. I think it would be cool. Uh, But, yeah, looking to season three. So are you anticipating uh, where the show's going at all? Are you excited for uh, what they've set up? Yeah, they obviously have something because the last shot that you get wasn't after credit. It is like literally the last shot of that Cloverfield looking monster, which yeah. I love the design of it. I really yeah. do. It's very ominous. It just it looks futuristic because mm-hmm. it's so rounded. It's almost like it's not even like uh, organic material. It's like it's steel or something, um, and also very xenomorph like. So they obviously have something for season three. My biggest worry is that I don't know if they can hit all three. One of these is about to go is about to like dip a bit and I'm mm. worried that might be season three. My biggest thing would be, you're right. I don't care if they age. That's fine. Let them age because if we're doing homages, you already homaging it. Just 
have a huge gap and bring them back when they're older, reminiscing about the strange things that happened mm-hmm. back then. Even if you have to cast older ones, because technically yeah. they would be uh, in adulthood in 2017 or 2018 or even 2020. So right. that would be an interesting thing. And maybe if they have that in mind, I think that would be like, <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Yeah. I think also one of the ways that the Duffer brothers are potentially trying to get around this whole idea of we don't want to rush ourselves, but we don't want to do too much of this story too quickly is with like what we saw with episode seven. There's a lot of people on the internet who are talking about it as a uh, potential backdoor pilot. Backdoor pilot being the term that is used for when uh, characters will sort of be smuggled into an existing show as a way to test out whether they can carry their own show you know happy days was kind of famous for this you know mork would show up and then you get mork and mindy or uh, i think they even tried this once on house where a detective showed up for three episodes and then that detective show didn't end up going Mm. anywhere then you you just perfectly explained what it and i didn't know what it was right that you were 100%. I was, there's like, there was something about that episode specifically that I was like, I don't know what it is about it. Like, the characters, I, eh, whatever, but there's something more. And to me, I guess what it was, was that it was a freaking advertising in the middle of the show, practically telling you, hey, what do you think about these characters? You want to do a spinoff? Yeah, you want to spend exactly six hours with this crew? Not really. Y'all, y'all want a Stranger Things Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. over here? No, <laughs> get out of here. Yeah, yeah. No, that is exactly what it felt like, like an Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode all of a sudden. And it's like, Ridiculous. I want to, you know, I want Eleven to go see what's up with Mike. Mike's in trouble. <laughs> go you help know? that blue, you Let, Let's go help Mike out. And, and if that was all, all, it would also maybe not have been so serious had I not, the, the one of the bigger complaints that I've seen online and something that I definitely felt was it would have been, good to get a little bit more uh, Mike 11. That was a really fun dynamic in the it first was. season. I'm I thought okay. they, they brought okay it to... I'm saving a, it. They, if they need to save it, that's good too. And I think the way they ended it was great. I, I love yes. the snowball snowball scene. I think it was a really, really fun scene. Uh, nice. But um, Will, though. Will gave the best performance of this season. I don't care what anybody says from that whole, like, I feel it inside me, the whole exorcism thing, all of it. Yeah, Will I think the there's best a, a get Vulture article that uh, called him the secret weapon of season two. Uh, and no, he yes. really, really is. He nailed and, it. You know, he was kind of lumped in with the rest of the kids on the, when they did their weird press tours and Golden Globe stop and whatever. And even though he kind of, like, didn't have a whole lot to do in season one. And I think oh, that was kind of, like, one of the overriding questions is, like, okay, now... Now is this kid gonna be like integrated with the rest of them? Yeah. He was great. He, he was, did. I, his, you're you're one hundred percent correct. Because we could be yeah. taking another one and be like, yeah, I think they should have just kept him out. That would have been a joke if he was bad. No, this kid was fantastic. Yeah. I it was uh, fi- final question, just before we move on from this. Uh, did you have a favorite episode or character from this season? Well, like I said, I adored Will. I thought Will was Will was my favorite, just performance-wise. The way I ended up loving him, the way that he gives you that twist of like, oh no, I set them up as a trap. And then everything that they have to do, the way he changes his mom's dynamic to then, like, burn him to then come back. So he was my favorite. In terms of episodes, I would say uh, the the one where uh, the Farrah Fawcett bond. That would have been my favorite episode yeah. just because of the bond that they had with each other. Yeah, the Steve-Dustin dynamic was a lot of fun was, this season. It was really I, cool. All the I really liked their train track scene together. Um, I'll take that as a spinoff. <laughs> yeah, that, I'll, I'll do the Dustin spinoff any day. Sorry. Um, I think that my favorite episode, um, I really liked, I want to say it was episode three, you know, they're still, um, 
a lot of things are mysterious and Bob ends up giving that pep talk to Will about uh, confronting the things his in head. his dreams. And, and yeah, that, that turn, uh, that turn was one of the things, moments that I got goosebumps from this season. I thought that was, that was a good. great piece of writing. Because, you know, you're, you're so expecting it to go one way and then it's like, okay, this is has, not that show. And it has repercussions. And, yeah, and, and it, it, it brings back the guy who gave him bad advice. It's good. It's yeah. Good. Uh, and with that, Bob was my favorite character. I really love Sean Astin on this. I mean, it, Sam, Samwise is, is such Rest a fun, fun person and su- sweet soul. I just kind of want to hug him. And he, he's just, I th- he was perfect for this season. Hug him as tight as those Demogorgons. There you go. <laughs> All right. So we will move on to yay or nay. But uh, we're doing a little twist on yay or nay. Instead of talking about some of the latest in news yep. around the industry, we're going to talk about some of the movies that we haven't had a chance to do discuss on the podcast uh there have been some really interesting projects released as we're getting into awards season some of them are awards contenders other not so much but uh we did not want to deprive you the intercut faithful of our opinions on them uh so we're no we're circling back to right. a few movies yeah we're, we're gonna go no spoilers for this just general impressions and, and how we feel um although i'm not so sure how how much of a discussion we can have about our first movie without getting into some spoilers the first movie is Mother, uh, the Darren Aronofsky film starring Jennifer Lawrence mm-hmm. that divided audiences. Let's put that uh, kindly. Uh, it was a lot of people talked about how it got that F cinema score, which is a very rare achievement, especially for a wide release movie. Yeah, about like uh, 20 of them have it, I think. There's like 20 movies, I want to say. Yeah, like it's basically, it basically like an indication of audiences completely rejecting the yes. way that you've marketed the film to them. Art. What did you think of both the movies getting movie getting an F cinema score and the movie itself? Movie getting an F cinema score means nothing to me other than I did not know it was a club that a certain movies are in, and now I actually want to watch all of them because right. an F cinema score to me, uh, because it's the audience, doesn't mean that it did something bad. I mean, I'm sure most of yeah. them are bad, but it means that it moved people enough to be that upset. So I'm curious yeah. about some of them. Now, trust me, some of them might be dookie, but I figure like the D's or the C's are the ones I probably hate the most, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's where your movie 43s and those are at. Um, yeah. Getting an F, honestly, while, while I'm trying to say that it's it's not a bad thing, they also deserved it. The way that they marketed that thing, the way that even the actors have come out, like Jennifer Lawrence, who I would say is a pretty big role in this movie, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the way that she said that she believes it should be spoiled, before you go into it, I am also a big proponent of that. You and I are huge on the movie experience. Blade Runner, yeah. Villeneuve's been out there talking about how I saved the movie for you. It's yeah, no secrets. No spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers, no nothing. Uh, no, here you need to. Yeah. I don't think it ruins the movie. I saw it two times for a video that I made. It helps you the second time. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very important that you know the metaphor that it's supposed to be because, sure, you can pick it up, right? Mm-hmm. But... Okay, mainstream audiences don't, especially yeah. when you when you made it seem like it was a horror film and it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things really lock into place when you get the metaphor. Uh, and I think I, I've talked to a bunch of people who have seen the movie and they have this experience of like, I was sitting there really confused and then I figured it out. And then it really made it sense to me. And I and, get that that's what it, he was going for. That yeah, is what he was going for. Yeah, it's a really cool feeling to it experience. Is, except that's for like 20 people out of the thousands yeah. who saw it. Like that's, I think that's like an art house kind of feeling and and but it was mainstream really audiences mainstream. aren't going to going to respond to that best it, way to it put was, it 
Yeah, it, it's just very... It's hard because I do think it's a really interesting movie and I do think that it is horrific in its own way. You know, I, I felt like... I felt like that movie re uh, represented the feelings that I get from like a panic attack where yes. it's just like there is so much going on and I am in control of none of it. Um, and, and that's really cool. Like I was really moved by that uh, as, a, as a piece of art. But Oh, it definitely is that. But yeah, but to, but to market it in the, way, in the same way that we market a lot of, um, you know, slasher flicks and stuff like that. I mean, I was talking about uh, months ago that I thought this would be a really cool, sneaky, like, box office hit at Halloween. And now I can see why they moved it further from Halloween. Yeah, it, 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 is, it, did not need, it did not meet that demand. Mm -hmm. uh, it met a very different demand, one that I was really satisfied with. I mean, for me... I think this is Darren Aronofsky's best film since Black Swan, even though that's not necessarily long ago. Uh, I think it's up there with Black Swan and Requiem for a Dream in that ability he has to really create. You know, he he doesn't make he doesn't make very small intimate movies often. He makes movies that are big spectacles that are that are in your face that make you feel things, and I really appreciated that, even if. I appre my appreciation extended further than my like. Yeah. No, I, I feel you. I like talking about the movie more than watching the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I will probably spend more time talking about the movie than I will re-watching yeah. it. The discussions that the movie brought about, I think in and of itself make the movie worthy of it. I saw it two times because I needed to go back and catch some stuff. I don't really see myself watching it again, right? But it is one of those movies in and of itself where you have those scenes that are fantastic. Like, if you just get a clip of when everyone's just bombarding the house, when it turns into children of men, someone's going to watch it and be like, what the heck is going on? It's fascinating in and mm -hmm. of itself. Now, sitting through the whole thing, not knowing what it's about, you're going to be like, what is going on here? Right? Now, there's the few of us, and it's not to make us a lead or anything like that, but it's just like, you and I have preconceived notions of what this is, right? Yeah, and there's also a thing that, like... Not to, not to be elitist about it again, but you and I know who Darren Aronofsky Nofsky is. is. So when we go and see a Darren Aronofsky movie, our expectations aren't going to be, I wonder what the monster is. It's going to be like, I wonder what his big theme is. The perfect thing would be to bring up something from earlier this year. It comes at night, same way that it was marketed, only for it to be like a psychological thing. And so it's like, yeah, uh... I like the movie. Like I said, it's one of those where I think talking about the story is a lot better. And I've had conversations with people and they're like, hey, you know, I guess I do like it. But I can guarantee you, I'm like, no, don't go watch it again. Yeah. You like the conversation that we're having about it. And that's honestly all I could ask about a movie. We mm -hmm. talk about things being original, original, original. Can't get more original than this. Yes. Yeah. I've never seen something like this before. No, and like, we, you, this is something that you and I talk about a lot. That if a movie is making you f uh, think something or feel things, then that movie is yeah. working on you in some way. It doesn't necessarily yeah. mean it's good, but there's something interesting there. I, I saw posts from like a bunch of athletes. I follow athletes on Twitter and Instagram uh -huh. and stuff who never post about movies. And this like this one soccer player I follow is like, this is the worst movie ever. Like four posts about it, and it's like you know this four is four posts. Yeah, like this is like cheers to you making my people. For yeah, this is ma making people who might not even engage with something really engage, and I think that's meaningful. Yeah, uh, just as a fan of cinema, I think that's really cool. It is um, because what he's saying is. Let's make this movie a challenge. Can you watch the entirety of it? Mm -hmm. For you, uh, do you know when it clicked in for you? I know that you are kind of attuned to a lot of like biblical thematic yes. stuff. Uh, 
I mean, can I say it? I don't think it's bad. Like I said, I, I truly believe you should know it. I yeah. truly believe you should know how biblical it is. It, I it think is, Mother's been out long enough that we can like say yeah. the minor spoiler. But and I don't even, if not, you can again click in the description and it, we'll go it's an on. Experience we'll talk about for Project yeah. in a moment. It's an experience for what it's supposed to be. Um, Ken and Abel. Moment Ken and Abel came out, I said, okay, it's Ken and Abel. Because the whole time I thought Mother Nature. From the beginning, I thought Mother Nature. Right. From When I saw the trailers, I'm like, Mother, okay, is this a thing about... Uh, because they even played on the poster. Everyone was saying that it was going to be a, a secret remake of Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. And they even, they're like, you know what? Here, we're going to make a replica of the poster. I was like, okay, that's interesting. Then I see it come in. I'm like, all right, so is this going to be Rosemary's Baby? And then I thought, wait a minute, Mother. This is Mother Nature. I thought about that before the movie started. I don't know. I just thought, okay, Mother just Nature. just popped in your head. Yeah, it just popped into my nice. head. I was like, and I told my girlfriend, I was like, what is this, this is about Mother Nature? Is it some cheesy thing like Mother Nature? And it starts going, I'm like, okay, I think it is. And then I see the two come in. Didn't get anything about it until they broke something. And I'm like, get out. They broke. Hmm. Something was there, right? And this right. is what I'm talking about. This is why I like the movie. But not everyone can have this experience unless you really know the backstory of, of, of the whole Bible thing. Then I see Cain and Abel come out. And it was the moment that he hit his brother and he died. I said, this is the Bible. She is Mother Nature. That's when right. they both clicked. And then I saw the rest of it. But then mm-hmm. seeing it the second time and picking up on all those little things like the flood. All these. Oh, my goodness. That's when it came into me. But that is very specific to me because right. I and I the thing is, if you go if you go on my, on my YouTube videos, people call me out because they say I mentioned God too much. I'm not even preaching. I just love the metaphors of it. Yeah. People are getting mad now to a point. Whatever. That just shows how much like I just love religious metaphors in, in general for any religion. Yeah. So seeing it in this movie, I was just like, brother. Right. No. Yeah. If, if you like that stuff, like you can nerd out about that stuff. For me, I'm like not a very. Uh, I'm not a very religious person or someone who uh-huh. studied a lot of religion, so it's not something that jumps out to me. But like when I when it clicked, when it clicked. Like, oh, this is cool, and and that's something that I do. You know, God is this thing that is often represented as as um, as divine, as beautiful, as amazing. Part. Aronofsky has done an amazing job in not just this, but in Noah of showing just, you know, awesome is, uh, there's there's a literal definition to the word awesome, like the awesome power of God. It doesn't yes. necessarily mean good. And, and Aronofsky ha- has demonstrated the awesome power of God in the horrifying reality of what it could be. He's uh, a creator. Those, these and movies. creators yeah. create, and that's such an intriguing thing. And I know that there are the people who will refuse to see that because mm-hmm. it's blasphemous. You know, that you can never see it in that way, but we are created in his image. So that means he shares something with us. And I found that right. to be so intriguing. I know some people would not open their minds to, to allow themselves to, to even perceive or think of him in that way. But it was so intriguing to see yeah. that a person who needs to create and create is sort of like, that's, that's insane. Yeah, it's also like fun it. to just think about, like, even if you want to step away from the God metaphors, if you just want yeah. to think about it in terms of, like, Javier Bardem as the Aronofsky-esque filmmaker being a creator. That, and, that too. And fans trying to take away from him. It, it, there's oh, yeah, a whole I like bunch it when he's like, no, that's not what I thought. It was. Shut your face. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to The Florida Project. This is the new movie from my boy Sean Baker. Uh, I was a big, big fan of Tangerine when that came out a couple of years ago. And uh, we've talked about that on YouTube mm-hmm. before. Uh, he does pretty much exclusively micro-budget movies, although this is this is a slightly step up in budget for him in that he was able to cast Willem Dafoe in this film. It takes place in the outskirts of... Is it Disneyland or Disney World? I Disney think it's World Disney, in Florida. 
Disney World. So it takes place on the outskirts of Disney World in the kind Magic of run, Castle. rundown motels and tourist traps that exist sort of to catch the runoff yeah. um, from Disney World. Uh, it, the Magic Castle is the that's, name of the No, hotel. like that's the real place. Like they uh, shot in the Magic Castle. It says it right at the end. Yeah, yeah, no, th- and that's uh, they shot they shot all in real locations down there in Florida and used a lot of the real names. It's really that's cool. Dope. I mean, it's funny, you know, because it's funny. You just think about it. The reason these places are, I was listening to a Q and A. I actually saw this movie at the New York Film Festival, and Sean Baker was there after. I know I'm pretentious, uh, but he was talking about how. Uh, you know, the reason these places have these names and have these colors is they're sort of trying to dupe tourists into staying there, Probably not knowing it's not officially affiliated with Disney. It, it's it's just, it's, it's really kind of, it's a hysterical little, like, small world that exists there. It is. Uh, but there's a lot of realness there. Uh, and it's sort of examining this, like, situation of these sort of perpetually homeless, un, you know, poor people living in Florida. Uh, it stars and centers on this six-year-old girl. Uh, her real name Fantastic. is Brooklyn Prince. I forgot her character name in the movie. Uh, Mooney. Mooney, yeah. Uh, and she delivers an excellent, excellent performance. Surprise Art, me. what did you think of uh, her and the Florida Project? So I went into the Florida Project knowing nothing other than I followed Denny's, Denny's uh, words of advice. Just know the director, nothing else. No trailer, nothing. Told my girlfriend. My girlfriend was surprised because she thought it was like... She thought it was like some sci-fi. Right. I thought it was the Florida project. I'm like, no, it's like the Florida, like like the projects. Uh, no so Florida I, man in this movie. No, yeah, no, no, no. So I went in there and uh, I knew what to expect because Tangerine and, and the other mm-hmm. movies that he's made. So I go in there and I'm watching. And I was like, okay, okay, we're just gonna follow along. You know, that's one of the things that people need to understand of these types of movies. It's not so much that there is a plot, but you're just following these people. Mm-hmm. It's slice of life in a lot of ways. A slice of life. And the biggest thing with a slice of life movie is that you have to connect with the characters. doesn't mean you have to love them, but you have to connect with the characters. Yeah. And the beauty of this movie, with it being a micro-budget film and being, uh, I want to say this little girl's like one of her first movies, the actress, the main one, I thought she was, and you would know it, in American Honey, you know, like the girl, the the one who's like the leader of the group? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, thought she that, just kind of looked like, I think that's Riley Keough. Um, I thought that was her. <laughs> and then I find out later, this is her first ever movie. She's an Instagram model mm-hmm. that got found by Sean Baker because someone re- re-insted her, whatever the phrase yeah, is. Yeah, you're like, talking about uh, Bria Vinate. Yes. Vinalti. And she was like, she's like, I want someone like her. And they're like, why don't you just get her? Well, let's find out. Right. Fantastic. And that's something that I love about Sean Baker is he's able to find these real world people and cast them. You know, he, uh, that was something that made Tangerine feel so mm-hmm. authentic. It's a story about this transgender community in L.A. and he's casting actual transgender people and and it's just there's a lived in authenticity to it. Exactly. But, but like you're talking about with the slice of like thing, like you don't necessarily have to feel like you are these characters to find ways to relate to them. I, yes, They're, he's I great them. at finding these. He's, he's great at finding these just very very human moments. And it's like, oh yeah, I've been there, or oh yeah, I know someone who feels that way. Yes. You know, it's like, and like I can get that perspective. Uh, and, and you know, even though I would look down on a lot of the choices that uh, the mother character makes in the Florida Project, There's it doesn't a couple mean I, of them, yeah. It doesn't mean that they that I can't like empathize with her situation and just you know really feel especially for the girl uh, Mooney who it's it the movie takes on this really interesting perspective of it's 
half innocent and half not. You know, it's sort of, it's not entirely through the eyes of the six-year-old, but you see her perspective. So you both see like some of the skeeziness around and, you know, a potential like weird situation with a pedophile that Willem Dafoe has to scare oh, away. so... Great scene. Great scene like that because it's like, it's nothing big, right? Mm -hmm. That scene is not the scene in Logan where they fight. That's not a scene from Homecoming. That's not a, a scene from Dunkirk on the beach. That's just a simple scene of someone doing something to stop a very catastrophic, not in the yeah. sense of a geostorm disaster, but something super tiny that he stops. By, just by like asking the guy if he wants a soda. soda. And like, it, it's a really effective scene and, and a great moment for Willem Dafoe. But yeah, it's these moments like that where you know the adults see it one way and the children are, are innocent. They just see it as, a, as guys but having a conversation. they've been so and... influenced by so much of it. And yeah, like you said, all of it just takes place in a hotel. Like I called it the unsweet life yeah. of Moody and whoever her friend would be where they just, you know, you got your Mr. Mosby over here. Uh, what's his name? Willem Dafoe is like just trying to get everything together. And you're like, that's his cycle. Mm -hmm. It hit me at one point when they're like, that's, he's not even the boss. Like, this is literally Mr. Mosby. He's just yeah. overworking himself to try to keep this place together. Everyone who's living there, just, it feels so real, not just because of the actress. Um, I like to call it the, uh, I'm the captain now. What's his name? The actor. Uh, Something uh, Abdi. Barkhad Abdi. Barkhad, I call it the Barkhad Abdi, where he's able to find somebody and just have it be this sort of like scenario where uh, you said it's like that person is lived in. Some would question, yeah. you and I had this conversation too. Is it is it actually acting? Right, right. Doesn't matter. Well, let's put that to the side. Yeah. It feels real. When I'm exactly. seeing this girl talk and all these things, I'm like, is this documentary? <laughs> you know, yeah. when I see the, the process of having to move mm -hmm. and they have to stay that monthly night or whatever it is at another hotel, I'm like, this feels real. Yeah. One of the things no, that I know. That's the thing is like there's those those lived in details. Those it's like I would I would have never known that like you can't legally stay for more than 30 days to establish residency in a hotel in Florida. But yes. the movie like the movie knows that and it shows you the process. But of it, it doesn't tell shows, you. Yeah. But it, right? it, just, it shows you. It just shows you. It's like this is what it would be. They would not yeah. be having a conversation like now, you know that. No, no, no. I love the part. Uh, Willem Dafoe's son. Never is he called a son. Right. Never is he called a son. Movie makers understand this. You do not have to say, uh, son, yes, father. No, it is just right. established. And the one argument that they have that tips you off not only establishes that, okay, it's a little rocky relationship where he, the son is the one who's trying to keep the relationship with the father. And obviously there was a fallout with the mother. Yeah. Mother, father, son, terms that are not used. Words between them that are used to understand mm -hmm. what they are. Yeah, it, it's one of those great movies that leaves so many details on the fringes that like you, you just can pick, pick up, up on them when you when you're watching that one line. It, it makes does it he feels... need to pee again? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, right, right. Was... It's just it's so it, it feels so uh, lived and real, and and it's a perspective that you don't see. It's a world that I didn't know about, and I love when movies show me a world that I don't know about. Yes. I think Sean Baker is excellent at doing Fantastic stuff like that. Fantastic at doing that. I thought uh, this wasn't as good as his movie Tangerine, which, you know, I really love, but yeah, I, I, know. I know you weren't as big on it. Did you like this one more? I loved this one a lot more. And I know one of the bigger things I remember when we had this discussion, mine was more on the technical aspect of Tangerine. I was like, just use a regular camera because I feel like yeah. you're cutting Tangerine a lot of Tangerine was partly notable because it was shot it was on an, an iPhone, iPhone. And you can kind of tell, although it's extremely impressive. No, it's extremely impressive. And I understood it. Like, I got 
it got him buzzed and everything because my boy ended up spending the same amount for the mods that he had to put on his iPhone. Might as well just gotten a camera. But I like this one more just because of the characters. And I say this again, I don't like the characters, but I like the characters. <laughs> like if that makes any sense, like you said, right. I don't agree with any other decisions, but I'm watching this. And one of the things that they talked about in the Q&A was how they were sisters. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's true. They're sisters. But what I'm seeing the whole time is a cycle, the Florida project. It's what, what you're seeing here is this girl is going to become the mother. There's mm-hmm. nothing deterring her from becoming the mother. But you see another scenario of another mother who does something different to try to stop her son. And you see that she's different because every time we see this character, she's doing the complete opposite of what this mother does, a.k.a. working. Mm-hmm. Um but you're seeing the cycle of what it's supposed to be. And I'm just seeing it. And it's like it's, you're watching a tragedy. And, and I – because I talk to school for a little bit. And I'm just hearing this girl and the way she talks. Like the little girl. And I'm just like, oh, you're so obnoxious. Yeah. But Sean Baker does such a fantastic job of showing you all the little moments where you go from like you're oh, – you're ticking me off. You know, this is what you get. You're going to get punished. Of course, this is bound to happen. What happens at the ending? But then you get those moments where you're like, why am I sympathizing with you? <laughs> and that's a good movie. That's when yeah. you've built a character so much. That's when you've had the cameras rolling that you get little sequences like the bird sequence. One of my favorite shots of the movie. So simple. It has nothing to do with the movie. Right. All right, gentlemen, y'all have to lose. He's talking to like, what is it? Seagulls or whatever it is. Yeah. Just uncut just because the camera was or rolling. Or flamingos. 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 And it's just those little sequences where you feel like these are actual people mm-hmm. that yeah. when it comes to that ending, everyone in my theater, I don't know how it was for you. Everyone just went, what the just happened? Mm-hmm. I got it. Can't say I was the biggest fan of it stylistically, mm-hmm. that I understood what he was going for. I just hated that he undermined the girl's performance. This girl went from, all right, I can't tell if you're just a child. Okay, you're pretty. That ending scene was like, how old is this girl? It, it, that, so, yeah, she has maybe the Bro, most what? realistic on-screen cry I've ever seen. The lip quiver. When the lip quivers... There's something there. But, I mean, just the way she got better and better and better until that final scene. And then they stylistically wanted to do that ending. Do you know you know what I'm talking about. When yeah, it goes yeah. from her to the cut, and I'm like, what? Yeah, what? It's, a, it's a very it's intentional jarring. choice, which he edited will it. not work for everybody. It uh, did not it, work it, for, like, 70% of my theater. Yeah, I... I, th- I Look, I think Sean Baker is actually one of the best filmmakers at ending his movies out there. Like, both Tangerine and Starlet have just heart-dropping endings. Mm-hmm. Um, this one didn't work for me on the same way. I didn't dislike it. Uh, but it didn't necessarily uh, capture me the way that his other movies have by their endings. I, uh, I did think it was interesting, though. And, and I, there are... You know, I think you have to ask yourself, okay, why did he make the stylistic change? What is he implying um, by, by, by <laughs> Escape changing? Escape from tomorrow is what he's implying. That's what he saw before filming. <laughs> but, there's, there's, but there's a reason more than, more than just because of uh, technical limitations that the, the entire format of the movie changes. Yes. And I think it's worth uh, examining that. Yeah, no, like, I get it because of what it's supposed to be. Like, right. you, you have to understand, like, what he's implying mm-hmm. with this girl and, and what that ending is supposed to be. And I get why it's visually different so you can see the separation. It's just, I like the idea of it. I just hated how they showed it. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Because there's so many other options. The, the, the movie has a palette and certain camera movements. 
It's not too hard to pick something different. I just don't know why it was that. Yeah, I, I also might have done it, executed it a little bit differently. That's it. That, that's mine. literally it. Do the same thing. Yeah. Show the same thing. Just don't film it like that. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got one more movie on the slate in yay or nay. Uh, it is the Meyerowitz stories. This is the latest film from Noah Baumbach. It stars Dustin Hoffman, Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, Elizabeth Marvel, a couple others uh, who are recognizable. And it is a story about a uh, disgruntled older father who was a sculptor and the children who are dealing with him in his advanced age. Uh, it sort of covers similar territory to other Noah Baumbach films in that you're doing a lot, dealing with a lot of the uh, Upper West Side Jewish New Yorker nebbishness uh, <laughs> that you got from Woody Allen films maybe 20 years ago, less so now. Uh, and and he, you know, it's a similar family dynamic to the squid and the whale, and that there's a lot of uh, family infighting and not necessarily closeness. Even even though that even though the family is very intimate, they're not necessarily close with one another. Yep. Uh, so Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler play the essentially main two brothers. They kind of have the most of the heavy lifting. Although uh, Dustin Hoffman and Emma Thompson, I think, are, are very good and could be in contention for some supporting. Uh, Oscar award type of things as well. Art, uh, what did you think of the Meyerowitz stories? Emma Thompson's hot. <laughs> the older she gets, the hotter she is. <laughs> I don't know what it was. She came on screen, I was like, first I thought it was Diane Lane, and then I switched it up, and I always oh, forget, I how, right? I always forget how attractive Emma Thompson is, but she just never puts herself in those roles because she's mm -hmm. always like, freaking what uh person who wrote nanny mcphee or something yeah, nanny mcphee or saving mr banks and stuff like that yeah. but no she is uh she's really good in her role i thought the movie was good the same way we were just talking about the florida project uh mm -hmm. this is more so with bigger actors but just the way they talk to each other and just the way when no one bomb back is able like squid in the will i i love the squid in the will such such a good movie because they don't care about the awkwardness like if you remember the squid mm -hmm. in the will what always stood out with me is what the what the little brother does <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of like, that's so weird. Yeah, I'm not saying I do that, but I guess we all do have that really weird thing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. He's not no, afraid I, to show you that. It's it's always great to get those kind of weird ticks because people are weird and we don't communicate that and often. Noah and Noah knows how to do that. And a lot of times it's funny. Yeah, yes. like it's very funny to watch those little quirks. Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller are, are some of our most gifted uh physical comedian performers too so to get them in those types of roles I, I thought it was funny the way that you could see some similarities in the family how uh, they go from basically in the volume of their voice they go from like zero to a hundred as soon as they're a little bit frustrated <laughs> with the pool uh, yeah <laughs> with, with like, the pool the? cue I was gonna go get something to drink right and I just hear him just yelling and I'm yeah. just like waiting there like mm-hmm <laughs> um, it, it's so yeah, I, th there's a lot of fun sort of family dynamic stuff there too. I think uh, they do a really good job of giving you a sense of the way that um, family kind of is both a burden and a sense of yes. like importance. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they feel really, uh, the, the children are really dedicated to helping Dustin Hoffman through his, uh, you know, declining health and dealing with his state, you know, he's uh, was a sculptor who maybe not, didn't get as famous as he could have been, and uh, there's a disagreement over like how to handle that. I think movies like this, movies like The Royal Tenenbaums, mm -hmm. Wes Anderson, it's are really good when they can 
you feel like you know the family history almost immediately. They, yes. they give you a few details, and you feel like, oh yeah, it's like that time when, and you could, you get the context. Yes. Um, and whether it's through some of the songs that Adam Sandler performs, or uh, just the, the arguments they have over the dinner the table, you really get a full sense of this is why this family has always been at each other's throats. Uh, and why they love each other, even though they hate each other a little bit. That's the perfect way to put it. The whole thing just feels like a huge family argument. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when families are that, that they're most authentic. Like, I mm-hmm. don't know how else to put it. I think that's when families, like, you see who they are when you get them to a point like that. Uh, just seeing the way that they yell, seeing the way that they argue with each other. Like you said, this feels like an actual New York family. This ain't mm-hmm. no Mary-Kate and Ashley take New York. You know, this ain't no, like, I don't know, what other other shows take place in New York and everyone's just partying in Manhattan. This feels like an actual family that lives in New York right. has to sell their house because Manhattan's too expensive. You know, I- I've never been to New York, like, Manhattan for an extended period of time where, like, I understand what it's like to live there. You know what I mean? This feels like it. This feels like a family reunion. This, the the entirety of this movie, like you said, little hints and things that they drop where you're like, oh, that's the type of character you are. You know, Adam Sandler and uh, it feels like an actual family because it's not, the dad has a certain persona and it's like two of the siblings kind of share it while the other one is like that one that's just trying to escape Ben Stiller. But then he also comes back and you see him try to make the same jokes that his father did. You should see the other. You should see the dog or whatever yeah. it is. And the it's repeated just like, lines that they yeah, share and you and see him. Like he that. tries to make that joke multiple times, right? And like no one gets mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. it's almost like, wait, did I get it? And it's like, it feels like an authentic thing that people actually do. Yeah. The whole one of my, one of my favorite sequences is one that made me roll my eyes when he has to go yell at the dude for the jacket, mm. and you see him, oh, and I'm like. Why do I feel like I'm going to be in that position, right? Right. Where right. it's just like, I'm going to have to go argue, and then it turns out that, no, that's not the jacket that yeah, I Yeah, everybody's was... been in that position of somebody who you're close to asks you to do a thing, and it might not yes. be... You end up getting yourself embarrassed to try and just be helpful to it, your mom real. or dad or something. Exactly. You're trying to do something good, and then you end up looking like a fool. Yeah. Scenarios like those that were good. Even the one beforehand, when you're, when you're sitting down, you're getting ready to eat. <laughs> I'll cover it. Oh, well, in that case... <laughs> and then the person next like just putting all their stuff i was like oh no he did not it's like i yeah. was actually there like i wanted to say something to the dude i'm like bro what are you doing get your stuff mm-hmm. out of here i think that uh noah Baumbach gets it has a really delightful tone you know even though the movie features some arguments and some like health complications exactly it, it's just it's a pleasant life throughout and, and it's just dying <laughs> yeah yeah it's a delightful movie where someone's dying in a lot of it uh yeah uh i think it's really it's a really fun movie, even if it's not necessarily the funniest movie. I did laugh no. out loud several times. Oh, something so, I did too, yeah. There was uh, I, I absolutely recommend it. You know, it, somebody asked me recently, like, what good comedies are out there? And, like, I want to say this, even though it's kind of serious. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it's not necessarily my favorite movie from Noah Baumbach, but it's up there. I mean, it's got great performances. It's, it's brisk. Uh, I don't think it was quite as funny as, like, While We're Young, but I'm also much higher on While We're Young than most people. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's absolutely worth checking out, especially now mm-hmm. it's on Netflix, so anybody can it check is. this one out. Super simple to watch it. No, I enjoyed it. We always get that Adam Sandler performance every decade. This one, Punch Drunk Love. 90s, we had Water Boys, so mm-hmm. just got to have to wait till next year, too. <laughs> or the next decade to see what we right. get from him. But it was good. Yeah, he's re- and he's really good in this movie. I just he wish he would do this kind of really stuff more often. No, he's, he's like... He's so good in this movie. Like, you're I, looking I, at him and you're like, why do you do this to us, Adam? Right. Why? Obviously, you can act. Why do you do this? 
right? Because you're on Netflix, and the next thing, the next thing you see is ridiculous. No, it's not. yeah, yeah. Oh, I did like the college short films that were in the movie too. Those were <laughs> yeah. quite delightful. Those vignettes, those were great. It was kind of I liked the movie. Felt like a series of vignettes too, like all yes. this. Well, you know, it's stories. called stories new yeah. and selected, and it did feel like a group of short stories. They, and it was enjoyable. It kind of broke it up in a way mm-hmm. that was kind of fun and made you uh, let let you focus in on one or two things at a time. I'm, yeah, I am pretty sure that all of these things are just things Noah Baumbach actually goes through. That's all it is. It's things he goes through. Yeah. Um, so we should head to our topic of the week. Uh, we're going to briefly discuss the ongoing situation uh, with the film industry and all the recent accusations of sexual harassment or sexual assault. Uh, obviously, the Harvey Weinstein situation was a big start to it in that uh, I think it's now like over 50 women have come forward and accused women? him of, of different types of assault or harassment, and including famous actresses who have talked about how he's made them uncomfortable and uh, or, or, or assaulted them. I shouldn't just say made them uncomfortable. Uh, and it's been followed up by, by several other uh, high-profile names also uh, being accused of this type of behavior, whether it's uh, the head of Screen Junkies, Andy Signore, someone that is very much part of the YouTube film community that yeah, we know big. well. And, uh, or, or someone like Kevin Spacey, who is in many of my favorite movies. And uh, it's, uh, you know, he's a huge actor and everybody seems to ha- know something yep. that they like with Kevin Spacey in it. It's just an ongoing thing that uh, seems to be uh, confronting us, you know, head on uh, as part of uh, being fans of the film industry right now. So it's since it's the big topic in most of the uh, trades and stuff, we wanted to discuss it a bit. Art, uh, what is it right now that you think is is bringing a lot of this to light, is making it such a uh, buzzworthy topic, I guess? Social media. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of these things is, uh, somewhere else, I think that's the biggest thing to put it. I'm a lot more blunt. If you watch my stuff, you know that. Yeah. Uh, but being more blunt does not mean that I don't sympathize. It does not mean that I'm a person who's going to say, no, just keep it. I don't believe you. No, you should definitely do it. I think when you see a case-to-case scenario, um, sometimes you do question. It's like like the Harvey Weinstein thing. I don't think that there's any question. That dude's a scumbag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if any sexual harassment is something else, you know what I mean? Like That's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Spacey, my man. Only way we can get out of this is through memes. And the, all the memes that have come out of this man trying to be like, yeah, but look over here instead, now yeah. I'm gay. It's sort of like, bro, what? I don't remember doing it, but it sounds like something I could have done. I'm just going to plead the fifth and say I was drunk. Yeah. Stop. That, yeah, and, and we're getting... It, it's, it's crazy how, how uh, just tone deaf a lot of the explanations uh, end up seeming. But it's just... I think that there's also very little room... Um, for for a discussion, you know, it's such a such a uh, it's such an effective, such a traumatic thing to so many people that like it is. to to it's it's hard to like even like half half apologize or whatever it is, and, and or and now we're seeing just all these uh, accusations come to light. I think you're right that social media is definitely a big uh, influence on it. Mm. Like you you know. Once you have people to back you up, and I'm saying this is like a positive thing. Once mm-hmm. you have people to Absolutely. back you up, may- maybe some of these people did go through authorities, and then when it's an authority, authority, mm-hmm. they get to decide whether you're valid or not. And maybe that 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 ha- that has happened, and they weren't able to get that. So it's like you go to the next thing that you can do, social media. Yeah, which I mean, is something a good that, thing and a bad thing. 
something that has been talked about a lot when it comes to sexual assault and sexual harassment is that it often comes down to he said, she said, and that ends up being a difficult situation to parse out. Uh, But what we're seeing in so many of these cases, it's not he said, she said, it's he said, she said, she said, she said, she said, you know, with Harvey Weinstein's list of uh, accusers. And James Toback, the director, uh, also has a list of, I I read some headline that it's now 300 women are coming forward with... uh, uh, James Toback, he's a director who did like the Tyson documentary a few years ago. Alec Baldwin is in his new movie and and got oh, dragged smart. into some of the uh, some of the controversy. Yeah, which Look, is uh, when you get that many. Thing, like, I'm sorry, you don't you. Yeah, exactly. Like, but it, what what's you know these things that people don't feel comfortable talking to one another about because we have social media to bring us together. Like, uh, you're, you know, I think what happened with that James Toback story is Ronan Farrow talked to 49 women or something who had accused him. And then after that story came out, like the other large group of women came forward with uh, similar stories. And the ability to share and uh, commiserate, I think, has done a lot to show how systemic uh, mm-hmm. these problems are. You know, you mm-hmm. e- not to make light of anybody's situation, but you have uh, some things like I think Reese Witherspoon came out and said that she was harassed on a set. Uh, and Anna Ferris had a story of how uh, she was on a staircase for a shot and a director kind of like spanked her ass a little bit. And it's, it's, and it's stuff like this where it's just like, you, you know, you hear it in maybe, you hear little snippets of it and... It's like, oh, well, that's a thing, I guess. But when, when the huge avalanche of accusations and allegations that uh, came out, like, it just makes it unignorable just how huge this problem is and yeah. how many bad actors there are in the <laughs> industry. Not, no. not literally bad actors. Yeah. No, it, it's... I think there's two ways you can say it right now from the, from the point of activism and getting things done. Harvey Weinstein's out, from what I know, right? I yeah, don't know how much money and royalties or anything he's going to make, but but he's out. Now, the biggest thing is, are you going to replace him with someone who's better? Are we going to ignore the other people in other companies who aren't as big and as vocal as Harvey Weinstein but maybe doing something? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm all for that. I'm not, Definitely stop that from happening. Or is it going to become um, a thing? Because Harvey Weinstein's more of a producer. He's, he's more of a company. What about someone more in the, more in the, more in the spotlight? Kevin Spacey. Right, like now there's news coming out today that Netflix has halted production on the upcoming season, uh, upcoming and final season of House of Cards. How does that hurt it? You know what I mean? Um, I go then back to scenarios with other famous people like uh, your boy who pees on people, (laughs) R&B. R. Kelly. R. Kelly. Where did that go? Right, and there was that that recent story about him too, how he's got like a cult of women or something like and, that. It's... And people still go to the show. Mm-hmm. So, will it actually hurt them? Do you get what I, I mean? mean? Yeah. At no, what and point that's does a... it become something? At what right. point does and it just become a trend? Yeah, like this is Hollywood having having a moment of being proud of itself for uh, rooting out all of these mm-hmm. um, harassers and assaulters. And Casey Affleck won Best Actor last year. Exactly. So it, it, you know, it's not exactly the the, and he's gonna not only that he's gonna hand the best actress trophy out this year, so it's like, it, woo, that's gonna be interesting. <laughs> At one point, yeah, is it just literally this whole big thing to cover up? Because you have to think about, you know, when they always say about, oh, the Illuminati, Illuminati, Illuminati. Uh, <laughs> if the Illuminati is so secret, why would you know its name? Right. Or is it? So, I'm I'm gonna go into your conspiracy world right now. What if there actually is one, 
and they created this whole Illuminati conspiracy for you to focus on that so much while the actual secret stuff happens. What if over here, like I showed you that meme earlier, it's just Harvey Weinstein screwed somebody else over and I was like, you know what? You are the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. You are the scapegoat. This is what you have to go through. What, one of the troubling things that I've been hearing people say in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein ed, um, revelations is that the only reason that this has come out is because Harvey Weinstein was less powerful than he used to be. And that if he was still, you know, As po- yeah. winning Ooh, Oscars, that. making money, that this probably wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. And and that's a scary thought that, like, are the people who are above Weinstein in the industry just untouchable? Is is Are they free to do whatever they want? Uh, mm-hmm. How much of this behavior do we let slide? Um, and it's it definitely is, I think it is going to make us look a little bit more closely at some upcoming uh, releases from, and it should. from people. It should. And it should. Yeah, I know no, some people absolutely don't care, mm-hmm. but it but it should. Yeah, some people like to keep movies at, or keep art and people who make art separate, and I understand that. But to a certain extent, you know, we are funding a lot of this stuff, and yes. it you want to know that the money that you pay down is going to people who act ethically or are yeah. decent human beings. And uh, you know, we talked about in the show not too long ago uh, that upcoming uh, Rami Malek Queen movie uh, mm-hmm. where he's playing Freddie Mercury. Brian Singer, the director of that movie, has been accused of rape on Multiple different times. occasions. <laughs> Multiple occasions. Yeah. Uh, Gawker has several pieces about that. I'm, I'm curious, you know, this is a new, in this new landscape, how will that go over? Will, will that movie even really happen? You, you look at some of the Weinstein movies, I think, uh, was it The Current War? The Benedict Cumberbatch movie mm-hmm. got pushed um, for, into next year because they didn't want to do a whole Oscar campaign with the Harvey Weinstein thing hanging over the movie because he produced it. It, it, it's gonna. It, I'm curious in how it will eventually trickle down to affecting movies and some actors, and I whether mean, or not it'll just change the, sca- uh, the landscape of Hollywood the by, by thing, purging it of a lot of awful people. Yeah, even the YouTube thing with Screen Junkies and what they had to halt, all that different stuff there. I think what comes in next, like you said, is this whole picking and choosing. Yeah, but we kind of like Brian Singer's movies. Right. Yeah, but we kind of like this thing over here, right? Yeah, but Roman Polanski is kind of a great director. Right, all these like different things. Yeah, I understand that Woody Allen did whatever. That's kind of weird, but as long as he doesn't put it into his... Oh, wait, yeah, his next movie is about an older dude dating a younger person. Yeah. Okay, let's just skip over that one because he makes a movie <laughs> a year. At what point does social media become the thing that's been able to help a lot of these women? Mm-hmm. But then also become a hypocritical thing. No offense for those of you who followed it. Like a Me Too, where mm-hmm. a woman who wasn't given an extra hour to work, can say, yeah, you who got raped, me too. I'm just like you. Yeah. Because then it becomes a, a slap in the face for the person that you're trying to help out. Right. What- and that's, that is a thing that I think is becoming kind of a... I, I hope that this doesn't become an issue and it's less of an issue than sexual assault and sexual harassment. So I, I want to those are that big deals, but, yes. But, People who have smaller things and they try to make it a bigger thing. Did you see the Adam Sandler video that was trending? Right, yeah. So you, there's like this whole backlash over Adam Sandler touching Claire Foy's knee and it was a, like five to ten seconds of maybe accidental touching and a little, like, it's, 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 I hope that situations like that don't get lumped in with Har- the Harvey Weinstein. There's uh, rumors about Brad Pitt's new girlfriend being 21 years old, and now people are uh, saying that's like some he- scandal. It's like, but they're both if they're both consenting adults, I don't Legal want to lump him in. Yeah, that's so weird that we can choose rapist. that. That's what I'm yeah. saying. How can we say that? Biggest thing with this, I've always said it, is the one big word: intent. 
intent I want to say is the biggest thing because sometimes we do things on accident. It's it's when you intentionally see somebody do something that's horrific on purpose. And the worst part is when somebody else gets to tell you your intent. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The Harvey Weinstein thing. You're looking at it. <laughs> Bro, I see your intent. Your intent is you, you're an a-hole. But when you can assume that Adam Sandler is a pervert, when you are putting in his mouth, no, I know your intent. No, you don't. <laughs> he was just like talking or whatever. I don't know if you've seen this. People have done breakdowns of the uh, Harvey Weinstein's interviews and how he talks. How he oh. refuses to look at women. And people are just like, you're contradicting yourself. <laughs> like, you get what I mean? People yeah. sometimes look way too into it. And I have seen people call other people out. and Because it's always been a scary thing. And that's why I'm very much so like, I, ain't, you know what? Y'all women want to do this? I ain't giving you any of y'all compliments because I'm not going to get in trouble because of some little thing saying, I, I don't know if you remember this. It was a huge Saturday Night Live uh, SNL skit that they had for Tom Brady and the difference between sexual harassment or not sexual harassment. I don't think I saw this one. Uh, if it's a normal dude telling you, hey, I really like your sweater, that's sexual harassment because the guy was ugly. Then Tom Brady comes in just with his jock strap and he says, I love the curves on your sweater. Oh, Tom. <laughs> the biggest difference of what you can deem is inappropriate for you or what isn't. You get what I mean? Yeah, but it's also that, just it about, scary. you know, it's about, you know, whether or not you're comfortable and consent. Yes. And, but when you can know, you uh, choose when you're comfortable or not? I'm saying for other scenarios of this mm -hmm. kind, believe me, and I'll say this again, I know some people will ignore it because they think that everything is just black or white. No. Yeah. I will fight with you for every single person who's been done wrong. But do not try to convince me that there will not be scumbags who are going to try to climb up on this thing to take advantage of the fact that, ooh, rape's the next big mm -hmm. thing. That's what I'm going to yell out and try to get something out of it. Because that's the saddest right. part about it. That is the saddest yeah. No, and, and well, no, more like, sad than that is the people who are actually getting abused. <laughs> right. That, yeah. No, and that's something that we return to on the show is like we want people to approach these things the analytically and, yeah. and, and think about it, not just uh, be black and white in their assessments of situations. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, those are our thoughts on the ongoing scandals, but I'm curious to see what our audience thinks about it. Let us know in the comments below uh, what, if this is affecting yeah. the way that you're approaching some movies or some filmmakers or some actors, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, we're curious to hear your thoughts as well. Or the we scariest get... thing, is it just a trend? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, we're seeing a lot of people face consequences right now. Yeah, it was, it was all about uh, blacks. No black people in movies. We're a little mm -hmm. bit over that now. Okay, now it's yeah, the sexual like, stuff. How long, are, how long are people going to continue to face consequences? I, I, I think it would be disheartening if, uh, you know, that Brian Singer movie for, perhaps comes out and it doesn't become a talking point. You know who they keep ignoring? Corey Feldman, who keeps talking about how he was raped and there's a whole child. And, and everyone ignores him all the time. And he's like, I've been saying this for years. And right. then he literally goes, why is it trending? Why is it trending? Is this a Coney 2012 where we just want to <laughs> focus on this as the next quick thing to make us feel better by retweeting right. it out? Isn't that disgusting? Isn't that like at the core the most disgusting thing that some of us don't even care, but they're just following it because it's a trend? No, yeah, it, it, it teaches us to be a, be better listeners more often and mm -hmm. take things seriously, you know, take people seriously. We'll see. Uh, we are going to our last segment of the day, a little bit different. We're not going to new to see. This is the interview where you get a chance to ask me and Art different questions about the film, movie, TV world. Uh, we've got a couple questions lined up from some of our listeners. So uh, starting off with Chase sent us in a question. 
which year do you think has the strongest filmography of the decade so far? He thinks it's 2014. Uh, Art, did you have any ideas with this one? What is the, what's your favorite movie year from the 2000s so far, uh, the 2010s? Oh, 2010s? If we're talking this decade, then I agree with him, 2014. If we're talking technically a decade going back to 08, then I would say 2008 is a very big contender for 2014 because that was the year we got um, Dark Knight, Iron Man, um, There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, that was the year that it won it for it, right? Which it would have been more of a yeah. December release anyway. Uh, but no, 2008 would have been a huge year. So I personally say 2014 as uh, as of the recent one. I would say 2014 because I really like uh, a lot of the movies that came out during that time. Whiplash, one of my favorite movies, came out during that time. Even Interstellar, just because of how, how big it was and how it dealt with IMAX and a bunch of the other things. Birdman. Uh, I want to say Nightcrawler came out in 2014 as well. Yeah, and came out. Night- yeah, we haven't had justice for our boy uh, not getting <laughs> not getting the recognition that he needs. But no, I, I I'll agree with that. 2014, I would want to say is the biggest year for talking just the 2000s. But if we're going past the full decade, I think 08 is a good contender. Yeah, um, I'd probably go with Chase. Also, 2014 was an awesome year. I mean, uh, just talk about like. Just thinking about it in more, less in terms of quality and more in terms of like landmarks. Uh, you have Birdman, which is doing Huge. that incredible feat of it's the one shot movie. You have Boyhood, which is doing the you know several years movie. You get a new Fincher film in uh, Gone Girl. You have the you oh, know the bursting the onto the scene of uh, Damien Chazelle with Whiplash, and uh, you know that was the Lego Movie year too. Uh, it's a whole bunch smoke. of great. Bro, uh, 2014 caused the waves. Yeah, man. It, it, it was... It still was still seeing people try to do from 2014, yeah. It, it was just a lot of great stuff at once. Um, I do think that 2010, I want to say, was a pretty strong year, but I don't know if that technically counts as this decade. Yeah, 2010 um, was the beginning of it. So, like, up in the air, right? Up in the air, Toy Story. Was, 20, was 2010 up in the air? Or was that 2011? I can't remember. The one that had Toy Story uh, might three have been two thousand nine. Oh, one of those. I don't know. Yeah, because that that year was another great. Oh wait, here is it. Do I have it here? Okay, yeah, twenty ten. I believe was the year. You're right that uh, we got Toy Story, we got Social Network, Inception. we got Black Swan, we got Inception, uh, the, uh, Four Lions, Scott Pilgrim, whole bunch Ooh, of really good movies. That's a big one two- too. Yeah, Not putting it over 2014, really but that's a good year, too. So, yeah, I'd say it's probably those two are, are the better, bigger contenders for mm-hmm. uh, Best of the Decade. I'm going to go ahead and say it, though. Even though the year hasn't ended yet, this might be one of the worst. Um, I don't know. Really? About I don't know. I think 2015. Feel. Nah, 2015. 2015 wasn't, wasn't great, but I'm, I'm looking for some movies to add to my Best of the Year list, and it is kind of short right now i mean you're right i i loved a few movies but not a lot well for me i think that there's still a lot to come call me by your name i think it's going to cause a lot of a lot I'm of ripples very excited for that one get out has caused a lot of ripples yes logan has solidified the the dark superhero movie mm-hmm. um what else we got uh, Brigsby Bear was one that I personally loved. So I think that right. there's enough where we're going to see... I mean, there's always those movies. Mad Max was a huge one. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one... That would have been 2015, right? If I'm not mistaken? Yes, that was 2015. So it's like every year has that one... You're right. Maybe not as many as 2014. Because 2014 was <coughs> packed, but... I mean, I, I guess. 
Um, we also got a question in from Ian Bulaklak who wants to know if there are any movies that could be dark horse contenders in the upcoming awards season. Uh, awards season is usually my beat, but I, I'm curious if there's anything that you saw. Uh, maybe that not that you think will be a contender, but that should be a contender in uh, awards season. I mean, well, I just mentioned Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. I don't know if that would make it a dark horse because I know a lot of people are hyping it up, but I don't think enough it seems people to know be, about it. Yeah, I mean, Sundance movies, independent movies are always an uphill battle, but it seems to be one of the most talked about of yeah. the Sundance crowd. So I hope I hope that one. I mean, that's all I can say. You you know more <laughs> about it. You know more the landscape, so. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because this is sort of a weird Oscar year in that I don't know if there's a whole lot of front runners. Um, I would like to see Get Out. Uh, get into that a few categories, cool. but people are saying that's totally possible. I think it's just universal. To um, yeah, just whoever, to whoever is uh, distributing the movie, they're giving it an Oscar push. <laughs> yeah, Blumhouse will get a nomination. I mean, it's crazy. They got it for Whiplash. I, I yeah, true. I mean, like, look, Get Out, like, it's horror and comedy are not the Academy genre, but it's. I don't think it's even an argument. If you talk about what movie had like the biggest impact, impact socially, and is good, fil- and is good filmmaking, and is a good film, yeah, like this is the this is a movie that added vocabulary to people's you know life. You know, you can you can talk about like a Get Out situation, people get it, and it's yeah. it's, it's a really it's, people it's are gonna get really mad. unique. Yeah, people are gonna get mad, but I think it's it's really unique to be able to impact the culture that kind of way and and be so good uh, i would really love to see it get into best picture but i think it's probably likely to get an original screenplay nomination that would be cool um, i'd also love to see the big sick maybe get a screenplay nomination um other things like i don't know it's gonna be it's gonna be hard for some of these movies i, I did i did really like some uh, some stuff like ingrid goes west or uh, oh, I don't know. After I Martinez, those, but I just don't I think, think they're that's, too small. Yeah, it's it's just small and not necessarily awardsy. I would love to see. You know, I don't expect Mother to get much of anything no. uh, because of the reaction. It both failed uh, critically and financially for the most part. Maybe but I'd directing. love to see. I'd love to see it get something like production design or or costume or something because visually that movie was so so immersive. It was. Oh, production design. How can it not get production design? That house. If it doesn't get production design, then. I think they like built that house twice because they, they had to did. Not, you know, yeah. tear, tear it apart. Yeah, I, I, I'd love to see Mother sneak in for production design. I see that. Um, so that's all for this week's show. I think we got to get into our picks for the week. Art, what are you recommending people check out this weekend? Uh, for myself, I would say watch Stranger Things. We talked about it earlier. If you didn't get it spoiled, then definitely check that out because it's on Netflix. And we know you either have a Netflix account or you're borrowing a Netflix account. Uh, other than that, one thing that I will be checking out in this Hallow's Eve is uh, this movie called Keep Watching. I don't know if you heard about it. It's like one of those one-night exclusive events. Uh, family buys a house. They move in. Turns out it's bugged with a bunch of cameras. And the people who sold them the house pretty much bug this house so they can attack them. I don't know if they're streaming it or whatever, but it becomes a game. Interesting. And they want them to fight back and be able to escape the house. It's a one-night event, which means that... Just hype it up. They'll show it again some other time. Probably, <laughs> but uh, I'll be watching that. That's what I'm looking out for. And of course, Thor Ragnarok. Haven't seen it yet. Yes. But the reason why I'm pushing a Thor movie is because it's got your boy, Taika uh, Waititi, in it. Waititi. Um, well, he's not in it, but I mean, he's the one directing the it. The director. So. Uh, he's the guy who also directed we, uh, What We, what do, we in do in the, the shadows, shadows and Hunt for the Wilder People, two mm. great comedies, two of my favorite comedies of the last decade. Fantastic. So I'm, I'm big on that. I'm rooting for him. So that's yes. why. Yeah, I, I'm 
I am someone who is low on Thor. I think that's the worst um, movies in the Marvel canon. I am going to be there week one, week, weekend one at least. For, be there uh, year one. <laughs> year one for Ragnarok because Taika Waititi uh, is such a delightful He's worth guy it, yeah. and filmmaker. And the trailers look fun. I mean, I'm, I'm in it for that kind of self-aware tone. Uh, I, I kind of find Thor to be silly, but the mm-hmm. more they lean into that, it, yeah. I, the more I'm interested, I think. I think it's going to um, be funny in its third movie, but I think it's going to give people what Guardians of the Galaxy 2 didn't give them. Those first Guardians vibes. Right, so, right. That's what I hope it gives them. Um, I would recommend uh, Thor Ragnarok this weekend as well. I haven't seen it, but uh, mm-hmm. it's been getting some pretty positive press, and I'm excited to go check it out. Uh, for me, though, my pick for the week is another movie that I haven't seen. It's Lady Bird. <laughs> it's the movie, the new film from uh, Greta Gerwig, written and directed by good. Greta Gerwig, and it stars uh, Saoirse Ronan. Uh, it's another kind of like coming of age. Uh, comedy drama, but it's been getting really outstanding reviews. Uh, it's getting some Oscar buzz as well. I'm kind of big on the Oscar yep. cycle, so I want to check that out and be on top of it. Uh, but I've heard a, pretty much unanimously great things about Lady Bird. So yeah, you know, uh, I, haven't, I haven't I haven't seen Saoirse since last year. It seems like she only comes out for Oscar season. That's how you know you're close <laughs> to Oscar season when uh, Mrs. Yeah. Ronan uh, decides to there's appear. A, there's a Saoirse, I feel, yeah, in the wind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the only time she comes out. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, she she's put herself back into the running for a Best Actress nomination, yeah. so I'm curious to see the movie. And also see the, I think this is um, Greta Gerwig's debut as a solo writer-director. I know she was on, uh, she helped Mistress write America. Uh, Mistress America and Frances Ha, mm-hmm. but it'll be interesting to see her in this, uh, in, in this uh, film. I'm rooting for her. I'm not even the biggest fan of Greta Gerwig, because I feel sometimes like, oh, we've talked, I think we've talked about this, how I feel like Greta Gerwig tells jokes that are like, I just think are not funny, and that's not the problem. Yeah. It's that she extends the joke to be like a whole bit, and I'm like, brah, what? <laughs> but I'm rooting for her. Yeah. This this one looks really good. Cool. So uh, that's all for this week's show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, at ZShevich, or on Instagram, also at ZShevich, and check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash multiplexshow. Art, where can people get more from you? You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the YouTubes at the A to Z show. Talking about stuff over there, so definitely head on over there. We're going to make making a second channel because I get a bunch of requests for explained stuff. And I want to do a lot of things that aren't so much like very detailed uh, explained videos. So I'm, there might be a second channel in the looms. Just a second channel where, where I, I get to like take your guys' requests and be able to talk more about movies in a, in a more rapid, funny manner, and then be able to take my time more with the bigger videos on the A to Z show. So look out for that as well. But A to Z show on all those other things, follow me there. Awesome. So you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash intercutpod. And you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel where you will be finding new episodes of the Intercut Pod every week. Also like our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram pages at Intercut Pod for updates throughout the week. But thank you for tuning in. And remember, you've got to think of creative ways to end your podcast.